Dennis is out of town this week, but we have a very good friend of the Son of David Messianic Congregation. Uh, Kevin McGee will be our speaker this afternoon, th- today, and he's been here before. And Kevin was supposed to come back. Kevin was due to speak here in February when we had all that snow and ice and the parking lot was so messed up, no one could come in. So this is a makeup day for Kevin. So let's work on Kevin McGee. <laughs> It is so good to be back with you, but I have to tell you I'm a little nervous because, you know, in, in church world, where I come from, if the preacher speaks after noon, it's off with his head. Like, we have to be done by noon, and so I don't know if I can make the clock go backwards over this next few minutes, but, but we're going to just, huh? Oh, yeah, no, no, we're good, I know. I know, you, but you're probably getting hungry, too, so. Um, that's right. We could stop it for an hour, then I could preach an extra hour. Well, hey, this is me, Kevin McGee, Director of U.S. Engagement for Converge International Ministries. If I haven't met you before, um, I would love to meet you. And if you'll pray for me, I would count that to be a real, a real blessing. I um, work with churches all across America, and uh, what we do is help focus those churches on the least-reached peoples of the world. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that as it goes. So there's some prayer cards out there in the back if, you, if you'd like to stay in touch. But... Um, a few years ago, my heart was completely captured by a single sentence that some of you have heard before. There it is. The organization that I work for is asking God for a gospel movement among every least reached people group in our generation. Because Jesus said the gospel had to be preached to the ends of the earth, and then what? Then the end would come. And uh, we're kind of anxious to get him back here. So I believe over the last two years, this is actually the fourth time I've had opportunity to speak to you. Um, I talked to uh, a number of you about what it meant to be authentically pro-life for one of the messages. Um, I hit you up for a bunch of money for your building fund that you're at the kickoff of your capital campaign. And can I just remind you, that's a really good idea. And the reason it's a really good idea, let me just change this sentence. You see, we're asking God together, we with Osa Shalom, for a gospel movement among the Jewish people in our generation, right? And, and I'll, I'll tell you a story in a little bit about why, why that is so important. But the first time I got to speak to you after many, many years of, of not being here, um, I talked to you about three reasons why I think the Messiah is coming soon. Consider today to be part two of that first message, because I want to talk to you today about why it matters so much. But first, let me tell you a story. So... Uh, I was home from the Naval Academy, I, that's where I went to college, um, sleeping in the bed that I you know, had slept in all growing up. Um, my mom was down the hall, my father had passed away, so it was just the two of us in the house at the time, my brother was off. And um, anyway, it's very early morning and I was really half asleep, still in bed, the way some of you look right now. Um, you know that feeling, right, where you're just kind of there but kind of not there? And it was, you know, early in the morning and light began to move across my window. And just at that moment, I began to hear a choir sing. And I sat up in bed, I'm like, he's coming! It was my mom's clock radio, and it was Sunday morning, and it was time to get up for church. But for the rest of the day, I was just like, I'm ready! Like, I was really excited to think, that Yeshua was about to come and, and, and to take us home. And, and so uh, I want you to be excited like that. 
If you were to to take your your Bible and turn to the last page, and you don't have to. Instead, you can look at that outline that I've given you lots and lots of verses in there. Right near the very end of, of the Scriptures, the Lord himself says, He who testifies to this is Revelation 22, verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. And so John, his good friend, says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Some verses earlier in verse 7, Behold, he said, I'm coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the word of prophecy in this book. And 15 verses after that, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. When the Lord repeats himself three times, we ought to pay attention. And he said three times in the final time that he spoke to his people that he'd be back and that he'd be back soon. I want to ask if you believe that. See, we should believe that. Um, we're going to talk about that. Don't steal my thunder. <laughs> the imminent return of the Messiah is one of the central doctrines of the New Testament. And it has profound implications. You see, a lot of times we tend to put the whole return of Jesus thing off into that end times left behind series, you know, kind of corny sorts of stuff. A lot of the movies that have been made about Jesus coming back are kind of dumb, to be honest. I mean, we, we sometimes kind of marginalize this doctrine as if it's for the outcasts, it's for the weirdos, it's whatever. Because a lot of people have said, you know, Jesus was coming at such and such a date, and then a different date, and then a different date, and he didn't show up, obviously. So the thought that he would be back soon has often been kind of associated with kind of kooky people, to be honest. Um, But to one of the first Messianic congregations in Hebrews, in chapter 10, verse 37, it says, in just a very little while, he who's coming will come, and he will not delay. You see, throughout the New Testament scriptures, we have the followers of the Messiah talking about his appearing. Many of those who talk about his appearing had already seen him appear. And now they're anticipating him appearing again. He had done that to them once already, right? He died. They thought he was gone forever. And then that day that we're going to celebrate in two weeks shows up. We call it Resurrection Sunday. In 1 John chapter 2, it says, Now, dear brothers, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed at his coming. In Colossians 3 verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Peter, to his fellow elders, said, When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory. I'm going to keep hammering you with some verses here. In James chapter 5, that's Jesus' half-brother. He says, Be patient until the Lord's coming. Be patient. Stand firm. The Lord's coming is near. The judge is standing at the door. Paul said to a young pastor named Titus, The grace of God brings salvation. He's appeared to all men. He teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And then a little later he says, While we wait for the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. Just one more. Here it is, brother. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. This is Second Peter 3, verse 8. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So how many years ago was it that the Messiah was here? 
about 2,000-ish, right? As the brother said, so if in heaven, a thousand years is like a day, a day is like a thousand years. It's been two days and maybe a little more. Okay, here, drum rolls, please. That means we're just about to the morning of the third day. You ever heard that phrase before, maybe just once? Ta-da! We might be just about right there in the morning of the third day in heaven time. And uh, the morning of the third day is kind of an important concept. It's when the Messiah rose from the dead. Listen, the verse that, that inspires my life, that directs my life, that directs all my friends, we work hard every day. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. When I was with you that first time, I told you, this is one of the reasons I think we're getting close. I participate in all kinds of conferences with uh, mission executive types, and so in December, I was at the Finishing the Task conference out in California. Uh, Mission leaders from all over the world had gathered there, and we have a singular goal. Some people express it like this, we want to get to none. That is, uh, the first part of the goal is we want to get to the place where there isn't a single people group on the planet that someone hasn't adopted to tell about the Messiah. We're very close to that. So we have lists of all the different peoples of the world and all the different languages of the world. Um, I've been working hard the last month or so to help with uh, figuring out all the deaf peoples of the world, right? Because there's over 400 different sign languages. We want the gospel to go to every one of those deaf people in their own language. Okay, and so we're very, very close to having some mission group or another, some large church or another, raise their hand and say, I'm going to, as God helps me, reach that particular group. Then there will be no longer any what we call unengaged, unreached people groups. Once people raise their hand and say they're going to begin to engage them, that doesn't mean they're engaged. And so then we need to send missionaries, right? That's why you need to pray for me. We need to send missionaries who can go across cultural lines and then begin to truly engage them. We want to see a church. We want to see an assembly of followers of Jesus. Church just means those who have been called together. We want to see an assembly of believers in Jesus among every people on this planet. Uh, now, I was in a, a meeting on Zoom. Do you know, everybody know what Zoom is? It's one of those video conference things. I'm Zooming all the time these days. It's not the way I drive, though I do that too. So anyway, um, I was on a Zoom call the other day with a, an organization that I can't even tell you their name because they work strictly underground. But I got to tell you, there's an underground church in the places where ISIS still exists today. There's an underground church in the lands of the Taliban, and there's an underground church in Saudi Arabia, and there's all kinds of things happening, some of which we can't even tell you about. You can pray for me this summer. I'm going to go to the Middle East and and visit some people that we have working among Syrian refugees, uh, visit some people that we have working in the land, working in Israel, but we can't really tell you where they are and what they're doing. Um, But you see, God's at work all over the world so that that day that we long for will come one day soon. And so, um, in your outlines, if everybody would look at that, I want to do just a really, really super quick word study with you. There's this word that appears in the Greek New Testament. Uh, Jesus used it himself. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, he said, therefore, keep watch. I think I've got it bold in your outline. Keep watch. Who keeps watch? Watchmen. Um, what group of people keeps watch, has to stand the watch? 
Soldier, there we go. Military people understand about keeping watch. Right? If you fall asleep when you're on watch, in the old days, they could execute you. Right? Military people, right? I was an old Navy guy. I'd have lookouts up on the ship. In 1977, I was in the Mediterranean. We were playing games with the Russians back then. Uh, you know, when there's a, a Soviet warship over the horizon, the lookouts are paying attention. You want to be the first one to spot it. Nowadays, we use drones and we use all kinds of things. Let's go back to the text. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know what day the Lord will come. Skip down to verse 44. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you don't expect him. What the early followers of the Messiah understood is that when he came back, lots of people were going to be surprised. (laughs) For good or for evil, right? For us, it's good news if we're followers of his, but for many, it will actually be bad news when he comes back. And when Jesus told the stories about his return, he often told them in a warning sort of way, right? If you, if you weren't ready, if the bridegrooms or the, you know, the bridesmaids weren't ready and all that stuff. We're going to go down to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which is one of my favorites. See, to his followers through the great apostle, the first century rabbi Paul, he said, now brothers, about times and dates, we don't need to write you. You know very well the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. He's echoing the Savior there. He's echoing what the Messiah had already said. Then, then he uses the metaphor of when a pregnant woman suddenly goes, it's time, right? It comes on you suddenly. Verse 4, but you brothers are not in darkness. So this day should not surprise you like a thief. Okay, so now that you've heard me twice, no one in this room should be at all surprised if the sky splits open and the Messiah shows up today. Because he's coming. We just don't know when. But let's go on. Verse 6. So then let's not be like the others who are going to be surprised and and who aren't ready, but let us be alert or let us be self-controlled. Help me out. I'm used to preaching in African-American churches lately, so you're allowed to, like, talk. Give me a little amen stuff going on, all right? So so let's make this a little participatory. What's, What's a synonym for this concept of being alert? Being watchful? Be sober, okay, on standby, but not pause. Be very awake, be ready. Okay, so that's an application. We ought to be busy about God's work, not busy in the like, oh, I'm always busy, blah, blah, blah stuff, but really we should be focused. We're going to talk about that when I end. Yeah, there's an air of expectancy, we should wake up in the morning going, today could be the day. If, if I really thought today was going to be the day that Jesus came, I wouldn't worry about paying my taxes. But there's other implications. <laughs> there are other implications. Um, let me tell you a story. I, I, I'm an old Navy guy. I've already said that. I'm going to put a picture up here on the screen in just a minute. But um, how many of you have seen the movie Argo? Argo. So that, remember when the Shah took over, he took the American hostages? Well, about the time that was happening, I was jumping on a ship in San Diego, and we were making our way to Hawaii. And when we picked up all the Marines that we were carrying, everything was painted green. By the time we got to Hawaii, everything was painted brown. And that was the start of America versus Islamic radicalism. And so we sailed our ship all the way across the Pacific and all the way across the Indian Ocean, and we sat off the coast of Iran. And uh, 
Praise God, the day that President Reagan was inaugurated, they let the hostages go. So rather than invading Iran, we got to go to Africa for a photo safari, which was a much better deal. I'd much rather see an elephant than, you know, have to chase the Ayatollah. So, um, but let me tell you something. To get back from Africa to San Diego, that is a long way on a boat. You just don't do that fast. It was months, right, all the way across the Indian Ocean, typhoon, ship was leaning. I saw waves as big as this building. That was really awesome, actually. You can't deny there's a God when you're out in the ocean. The psalmist said that. Anyway, as we're making our way across the ocean, eventually the Philippines, Japan, and then between Japan and Hawaii, I started a little tradition. Every morning I would wake up and I would go up under the bridge of the ship where I like to hang out, and I would look at this big chart. And every day we'd be a couple of hundred miles closer to home. And I'd just look at that and smile. When we got to Hawaii, then it was, felt like it was almost there. But one morning, I woke up, and this is literally what I saw. And show you how good God is. When I went looking to, to get this picture to tell you this story, I just typed in Navy Ship Point Loma. That's San Diego, any of you have ever been to San Diego. That ship, the first one that showed up, was one that was steaming in company with me on the day that, I'm, that this thing happened. And so the first thing that Google showed me was exactly what I was looking for. I think that that's just God's good. But, so I looked across. I saw that exact ship. I saw that exact little hillside. But I knew right around the corner was my fiancé. I got engaged on my birthday and four weeks later left for the Ayatollah. Now seven months later, after having to wait for the helicopters to bring me her letters, I was soon to hold her in my arms. It was just so close. I knew it was the day. I knew it was just moments until I would hold the woman who's now been my wife for almost 38 years in my arms. We should be that kind of excited about Jesus coming back. Amen? So, what? (laughs) You see, if he's really coming back, there's some things we should think about. There's an urgency to this doctrine that the Messiah may return soon. And the first thing I want to remind you is that lost people are really lost. Jesus said, the Messiah said, Luke 19, verse 10, it's in your outlines, The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. We don't get lost like we used to now that we have GPS. (laughs) But if you've ever been lost, it's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling to not know where to go, to listen, to not know the way. That's a horrible feeling. And I want to tell you today that lost people are really lost. When uh, I first took this position to become a missionary rather than just the role that I'd had for th- over 30 years as a pastor, and I began to tell stories. My, my wife is the one who said to me, Kevin, you need to remind them how lost, lost people are. Because let me tell you, I've been around the world quite a few times now, and we'll be going again soon. And if you go to places where the name of the Messiah has never been heard, it is very dark there. The sun can be shining brightly, but it is really dark in the places where Jesus 
has never been known. In Titus uh, chapter 3 and verse 3, I think it's in your notes there, it says, At one time we all were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. You see, the natural condition of the human heart uh, leans towards hatred, not towards love. We sing our songs, you know, we, we have all these songs on the radio about love and stuff, but, but people don't love naturally. People love supernaturally. People don't forgive naturally. Forgiveness is a supernatural activity. When you go to places where they've never met the Messiah, as I said, it's really dark there. Um, I've been to Thailand, for example, on that same trip. You get off the boat, you can literally feel the darkness. How dark must it be? for a father to sell his little girl into the sex trades. It's the biggest industry or one of them in Thailand. Men from all over Western civilization, I put that in quotes, travel to Thailand in order to have sex with children. Our hearts should be broken. Lost people are really lost. I'll give you some other examples in a moment. Um, but let me take you to, I think, where, where uh, Dennis has been preaching is from Romans, right? I think he's in chapter 9 about right now, which is good timing. Romans chapter 9, verse 1 says, I speak the truth in the Messiah. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart. I wish I were cursed, cut off from the Messiah for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Listen, there are many Jewish people who are completely lost right now. I met one at BWI just a couple weeks ago. I was up at BWI. I fly southwest mostly when I'm traveling in the U.S. You know about the southwest deal? You got to be like right on the money to check in, right? So 24 hours before it's your flight, you got to hit the... My daughter and I sometimes have competitions to see who can get the, you know, the first seat. So I'm in line. My, my daughter's with me. Another friend is also with us. We're traveling to Jacksonville, Florida. And this woman is standing beside me, and we're just kind of lamenting the fact that we're in the B group. And, you know, how do you possibly get in the A group and stuff? And where are you going? Where are you going? Well, why are you going there? Well, why am I going there? Well, it turns out, I quickly picked up, she was Jewish. She loved Israel. She had volunteered in the IDF. She lives in Germantown. And she found out that I was this missionary executive. And she goes, so you're religious? I'm like, well, don't like to call it that, but she's like, but you, you like actually believe the Bible? And I'm like, yep. So we start to talk. I was so thankful the line was moving slow. So we just kept talking. I leaned over to my daughter and said, I'm taking the aisle seat. So I sat next to this woman on the flight. And we just got to talking and talking and talking. Because she had never really had a conversation with a thinking person who actually believed in God. It was just like hard for her to wrap her head around how someone who's, you know, academically gifted could also believe in God. And so at one point I told her about the work that we do. Like we have people that stop trafficking in Thailand. And I said, and for example, we work in, in the places in, in West Africa where voodoo is still prevalent in places like Togo and Benin. And she said, oh, I wish you all would just leave those people alone. And I said, oh, ma'am, you don't want us to leave them alone. See, in in Togo, they still sacrifice their children. Uh, This is in the fetish market in Lome, Togo. 
Um, my, my boss was there not too long ago, and he went out into one of the villages where they had recently buried one of the witch doctors alive to release his demonic powers into the village. You see, I said to this precious Jewish woman from Germantown, I said, look, <laughs> you don't want us to leave them alone. You want them to have the light and not the darkness. Well, I would ask you today to pray for this woman because I gave her my business card. She promised to email me with her contact information so that we could follow up. I wanted to give her a book. Um, I haven't heard from her yet. Um, But I I want you to know that she's just as lost as the people in Togo. This is Osei Shalom. You know, the first words sung in this service were Osei Shalom. This is Osei Shalom, the synagogue in my town. Um, I know lots of people there. Um, I have lots of friends who attend Osei Shalom. My, my family physician for the last 30 years goes there. A number of my other doctors go there. I've known all the rabbis that have worked there. Um, and uh, I was there for the installation of one of their rabbis about 10 years ago. And they, they did announcements just like you guys did announcements. You know, so-and-so is this and so-and-so is that and da-da-da-da-da. And, and then they said, we have a, a congregational retreat coming up. And, um, and by the way, if you believe in God, you're allowed to come. That's literally what they said. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> you know better than me. There's so many Jewish people who have the culture of Judaism, but whose hearts are far from the King of Kings, who don't understand his grace at all. And so uh, that should give us pause, right? Because if, if the Messiah is coming soon, then what does it mean for them? Tribulation and, and, and pain. So we should ask God this day and every day for a gospel movement. Among the Jewish people of Maryland, they're one of the least reached peoples that we know. Let me change tax a little bit because there's another reason that we should long for the return of the Messiah. You see, everybody is grieving. So for many... The return of Jesus can't come soon enough. I love that you do the Kaddish every, every Saturday morning. I, I, I love that you acknowledge those that are grieving. Our culture is not very good at this. But I'm here this morning to tell you that actually everybody is grieving, not just those who stood. We've all experienced loss, and we will all experience many more losses. Brothers, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we don't want to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, meaning about those who have died. Or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Let those words catch you. There's dozens of people in your life who are grieving, but who have no hope. I would hope that we in this congregation are not numbered among them. Because as the text goes on to say, we believe that he died and rose again, and so we believe God will bring with the Messiah those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left at the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, well played, shofar, blower. Where'd you go? There There you are. You did good, man. You got wind. Uh, maybe Maybe he could be the one who blows it when Jesus comes back. Okay, anyway... Think about that. Trumpet sounds, and after that, we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
and so we'll be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. In the last year, I had lost three really close friends. My, my church bookkeeper of 10 years, my church office manager of 30 years, the only office manager we'd ever had, a very dear friend, and, and then another good friend, a guy who was our, our local real estate agent, the father of people in my church. Just one right after the other after the other. I turned to my wife and I said, could we go like six months or a year without anybody calling me, asking me to do the funeral for somebody that we love? And two weeks later, the man who discipled me died. And I flew to California to do uh, the memorial service for a very, very dear friend. Lots of you have heard my story about why I do what I do, and it goes back um, to some kids. Uh, Those are my two daughters. They're now uh, 25 and 30, and and they're two, like, brothers by a different mother, um, our best friends, two little boys. And uh, the, the crazy one in the middle grew up to be the funniest kid I've ever known, and then at age 24, he died quite suddenly of a heart condition that no one knew that he had. He sat down on his couch and woke up the next morning in heaven. Um, His roommates found him. They called the police. The police came to our friend's school where she taught at an elementary school only about a mile or two from here, and um, I, of course, raced to be with our friends on that day, and As we walked out of the school, here's my two friends walking in front of me. I'm walking beside them. Tears are streaming down all of our faces. We're on our way to tell my daughters, their son, that little Jason is gone. And something inside of me just broke. And I actually screamed at God. Now, I don't know if I did it out loud or just inside, but either way, I know I was was really yelling. And and I said, "Could, could your people please get serious about the Great Commission? Because in a verse that I'll show you in a few minutes, I knew that the only thing that was going to solve my friend's pain was the Messiah coming back or them going to be with him. I knew that if things were as they normally are, it would probably be another 30 or 40 years before they would see their little boy again. And the thought of that just broke my heart because I knew they would miss him every day. Well, I suspect there's lots of people in the room that know exactly what that feels like that are missing somebody every day. And so for me, that truth, that when he comes back, there will be no more tears or death or crying or pain. It's truth that I've organized the rest of my life around. It's the thing that gets me up in the morning and makes me work hard all day. Because when Jesus comes back, death will be no more. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that. I've spoken at over 200 funerals, only 100 weddings. I wish the young people in my church would get on the ball and we'd have more weddings and less funerals. But the funerals, they just keep coming. Well, anyway, you get it. Uh, Let me tell you one more thing, and I bet you haven't thought about this lately. Because I don't know why, but we we don't think it's like spiritual to think about this. Um, But Jesus said when he comes back, his reward would be with him. In a verse I already read to you, Revelation 22 and verse 12, it says, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. I will give to everyone according to what he's done. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says, In the presence of God and of the Messiah who judges the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and of his kingdom, I give you this charge. And, and then Paul went on to talk to Timothy about several things, but then he said this, I've fought the good fight and I've finished the course I've kept the faith. Listen, in the future there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not only to me, but to all who have, listen, to all who have loved his appearing. If you're longing for the day when the Messiah comes, if you love his appearing, if you're living your life around that truth, then he says, when you see him face to face, there will be reward waiting for you. Now, there's some beautiful old hymns that speak of how any reward that we receive will cast our crowns at his feet, and and all of that's true. But listen, it's okay to work for a reward. In fact, it's deeply spiritual to do so. It's deeply spiritual to long for the day that when you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he says, way to go. Well done. Have I told you I used to be in the Navy? This is a true, true story. Somebody came up to me in church once and said, hey, did you know Kevin was in the Navy? And somebody else standing next to him was just like, because <laughs> pretty much every sermon I get the Navy in there. Let me tell you one more Navy story before we get to go have, have lunch. So on that same trip that I've already talked about like 15 times in this sermon, um, we pulled into Hawaii on our way to the Ayatollah. And, and my, I was in charge of all the damage control on the ship, meaning I was in charge of the firefighters, the welders, the electricians. If things went bad, then I was on and my guys were on. So we had to be ready for all kinds of things. Well, I was pretty new to the ship, and they had had this big inspection about their readiness for bad things to happen, and they had flunked badly, like 50 out of 100 type thing. And so the captain of the ship, as we're walking into the officer's club, he literally comes up beside me and puts his arm around me, and I'm like, I'm... I'm just an ensign, you know, and he's like a captain. So that was kind of creepy. And anyway, so he, he leans over to me and says, McGee, by the time we get to the Philippines, we have to pass this, this thing. They're going to test us again, and, and we have to pass. He said, but if we do, trust me, I'll make it, you know, I'll reward you, basically. I forget his exact words. So what do you think I did for the next six weeks? I worked my butt off, that's right, 20 hours a day for whatever that reward was. I didn't know exactly what it was. Nowadays, they give these out, I think, at the candy store, but this is called a Navy Achievement Medal. We got like a 96 on that exam. And so at a certain point, I get called before the entire crew. I thought it was an inspection, but it was a reward, an award ceremony, and the captain calls me up front. We're all in our dress whites, and he pins this thing on my chest, and that was a good day, let me tell you. That was a really good day, one of the proudest days of my life. You see, we can work for reward. And Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, said, I'm coming soon, and my reward will be with me. So how about you? Want to work for something that matters? As you begin to reflect this afternoon when you leave this place, think about where your time is going. Think about where your money is going. Think about what excites you um, because only God and people last. Nothing else actually really matters. Um, We spend so, like, the final four is happening, right? Let me tell you a little secret. They're not the final four. There'll be four more next year and the year after. I was on the fencing team at the Naval Academy. Can any of you name a famous fencer? I doubt it. Right? I spent three hours a day for four years trying to be good at something that doesn't matter at all. 
It's just true. I almost got to go to the Olympics in something that no one would care about. You see how we can live our lives for things that just don't matter? So I want to put my favorite verse up here on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 3 and 11 and 12. Peter talks about how there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and, and, and all that's broken and all that's evil will, will be destroyed and then he'll make it new. And then he says, well, so what kind of lives should we live? And then he answers his own question. He said, we ought to live holy and godly lives. Here's the verse. As we look forward to the day of God, and my favorite part, and as we speed its coming. Now, if you have somebody you love deeply who's not a follower of the Messiah yet, maybe you want to put the brakes on, not the accelerator, but can I suggest a better plan would be to go spend as much time and as much prayer as you can to lead them to him. That's the best play, not to try to slow down his coming because you can't stop him anyway. But we can long for his coming, and there are some things that we can do. And so here's my final question and the final slide. I think our lives need to be radically altered if what I've been sharing with you this morning is true. Because not every one of you was born in America, but you all live here now, and Americans love to be comfortable. We have raised it to an idolatrous level. We want to be healthy. We want to be happy. We want to be comfortable. We're very proud of our ancestors who sacrificed greatly for our freedoms. Nowadays, we get really mad if the grocery store doesn't have what we need. Right? We, we, we raise all kinds of stink over all kinds of stuff that frankly doesn't matter at all. You know, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. <sighs> you know, that kind of stuff. So I want to ask you, here's the question, it's on the screen. Ha, have I radically changed my lifestyle to speed the day when Messiah comes? It ought to be reflected in your calendar. It ought to be reflected in your conversations. And it ought to be reflected in your checkbook. You cannot outgive God. We ought to be giving sacrificially. The last time I was with you, that's what we talked about. You guys desperately need to meet in a building that's not a church. In a space that's designed so the Jewish unbelievers can come and be comfortable and be pointed to the Messiah. So your life should be radically changed in terms of how you use your money. And then there's how you use your time, and then there's what you say. Let me tell you, I'm proud of, of, of being Dennis's friend. We were at the only alehouse, I'll, I'll close with this. We were at the only alehouse, and the waitress came, and he noticed she had a mezuzah on a little necklace. That can only mean one thing. So I just waited. I knew it was coming, and he commented on her mezuzah. And before our meal was through, he had invited her to Son of David. He had told her about the Isaiah 53 book. He had said, I'll bring you one as soon as we go to the car. Um, His radar was just tuned. Here was a Jewish person who doesn't know the Messiah yet. We've got to talk to her, right? It didn't matter what our agenda was. Once we found out who our waitress was, Our agenda went out the window, and the only thing that mattered was this Jewish person who didn't know the Messiah yet. Conversation, calendar, checkbook. 
could all be radically changed to speed the day when the Messiah comes. Let me pray for this congregation that I love. Let's pray. Abba Father, we just thank you that you sent your one and only Son whom you love to pay the full price for all the wrongs that we've done. Lord, in the Jewish community, every year there is a day that we call the Day of Atonement. But God, there's nothing that we can do to atone for what we've done. The Lord Jesus, the Messiah, had to do that. As a congregation this morning, we would just want you to know that we're really deeply grateful. Lord, I could tell, I saw a couple of tears. I could tell when we started talking about lost people being lost and grieving people grieving that there's lots of pain in this room. God, there's lots of pain in our hearts for people who are far from God. Would you use us individually and together to bring them close to you? And Lord, there's lots of pain in this room because there's lots of people in heaven that we long to see. God, would you use us as a group of friends, as a congregation that you've called together to speed the day when Messiah comes. But Lord, when you get here, we pray that we would not only not be surprised, but that we would be expectant and that what we would expect is great reward because we've lived our lives wholeheartedly and fully for you. So Messiah Jesus, would you help us to Make those changes that need to come to our calendars to make room for you to work. Would you inspire and empower our words, the conversations that we have, to encourage and to build up and to point others to you, to to have hope in them that causes other people to ask us to give an account for the hope that's in us. And then, Lord, I just pray as we prayed a few months ago for a working of your spirit in Son of David congregation that this congregation would become the most generous they've ever been in all the years of its history. And not because we want a building, but because we want to see so many Jewish people come to know you. So, Lord, we just pray for your provision. We know there's ongoing conversations about a new building. We, we just pray for your provision for a new place for this congregation that you love. And that we pray all of these things, these things now in your holy and powerful name. Amen.